welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. For this episode, I'd like to try something new. I want to do a giveaway for the book I'm talking about this week. I got a copy for free, basically, and I don't plan to keep it on my shelf, so I thought it would be fun to send it on to one of you. For now, I'm going to say this is only open to people who live in the United States, just because that's easier for me to mail to. To enter for the giveaway, just send me an email saying that you're interested. You can find my email address in the show notes and on the website. And I'll pick someone before the next episode comes out. So you have until May, let's say May 22nd, 2022, to email me. We'll see how it goes. Like everything else on this podcast, it's an experiment. With that out of the way, let's get started. This time, we are talking about A River Enchanted by Rebecca Ross. Here is the summary. Enchantments run deep on the magical Isle of Cadence. Gossip is carried by the wind. Plaid shawls can be as strong as armor, and the smallest cut of a knife can instill fathomless fear. The capricious spirits that live there find mirth in the lives of the humans who call the land home. But that mischief turns to malevolence as girls begin to go missing. Adira, heiress of the East, knows the spirit's only answer to a bard's music, enticing them to return the missing girls. But there's only one bard capable of drawing the spirits forth by song, her childhood enemy, Jack Tamerlane. He hasn't stepped foot on Cadence in ten long years, content to study music at the mainland university. But as Jack and Adira reluctantly work together, it becomes apparent the trouble with his spirits is far more sinister than first thought, and an older, darker secret lurks beneath the surface, threatening to undo them all. A River Enchanted was published in 2022. It is the first book in a duology. The sequel, which will be called A Fire Endless, looks like it's expected to publish at the end of 2022, which is an incredibly fast turnaround. I guess she must have had both of them pretty much written already. Our author, Rebecca Ross, is from Georgia in the United States. Her first book, a young adult fantasy novel called The Queen's Rising, was published in 2018. Since then, she has published four more books, three young adult fantasy novels, and now A River Enchanted, which is her first adult fantasy book. This is another book from the Book of the Month subscription. I've read three books from the service so far, and I don't know if it's my selection process or if I'm just too picky, but I actually haven't been too impressed with any of the books I've gotten so far. This one in particular felt sort of unfinished, maybe. Specifically, my problem with it is that it felt repetitive. 
like the writing would show you what was happening and then tell you what was happening over and over and over. I have seen this sort of thing before, and I think it comes up often when an author switches genres, especially switching from young adult to adult. There are different expectations and styles used in adult novels. It's not that surprising to stumble a bit here and there. I did really like the setting. They're on a magical Scotland-inspired island full of elemental spirits. So spirits of water, earth, air, and fire. The island is almost described as having its own personality through the spirits. Depending on their moods, the spirits can help or hinder, making distances longer or shorter, changing the landscape, spreading rumors and secrets, trying to drown you or help you to the shore. There is also magic used by the humans, wielded mostly through enchantments. A skilled weaver can make a plaid shawl as strong as armor. A blacksmith can make a blade that will strike fear with a tiny scratch. The island is split between east and west by a clan line. The line itself is magical and will warn of trespassers. The Tamerlanes live in the east and the Brackens in the west. The split is more than just this warning system, however. In the east, the earth is more fertile. They have plenty of food. But magic in the east drains them of their vitality. It takes years off of the lives of those who practice it. In the west, magic is easy and their enchantments are strong and don't cost them anything But the land is fallow, meaning they don't have enough food to last them through the winter, and the Brackens raid across the clan line every winter in order to steal food. The clans almost never communicate with each other. You can tell at the beginning that misunderstandings and hatred have grown between the clans for generations. Now, we spend all our time in this book with the Tamerlanes. We get so much information about them, about their history, their viewpoints. I'm definitely interested to learn more about the West and the Breckens because we only get hints about it, and it's all very filtered through Tamerlane biases. And at the end of this book, it's definitely set up for us to at least spend some, if not all, of our time in the West in the sequel. Our story begins with Jack, who was sent away ten years ago to study music on the mainland, being summoned home. Girls are being stolen. The Tamerlanes vaguely suspect that the elemental spirits may have something to do with it, because there's never any physical trail. The girls seem to vanish into thin air, and besides, there's the magical clan line that would tell them if Breckens were crossing over. So they have to talk to the spirits. But the only way to summon the spirits to speak with them is with music. There are somehow no other musicians on this half of the island since the last one died five years ago. Which seems really weird. 
Like, I get that there's no trained bard, right? There's no one who went and studied at a university like Jack did. But there's no one there with some bagpipes or a drum, a little, like, flute. The characters even mention that they haven't heard music since the last bard died. Which means these people don't even sing without accompaniment? Okay. Seems weird. So Jack returns to Cadence reluctantly. He is not immediately likable as a character. He's proud and prickly. And eventually you get through the layers to discover that he is covering up a lot of feelings of abandonment because he was sent away from the island. He felt like nobody there wanted him, not even his mother. And you sort of add that to the fact that he doesn't know who his father was because his mother won't tell him. So he keeps up his walls pretty high because he thinks it's better to reject people first before they can reject him. Also, it was funny to hear Adira later describe Jack as stoic because we're in his head in the narration and he spends most of his time being like, offended and complaining. In order to solve the girl's disappearance, Jack has to work with Adira, who is the heiress of the East. She will become the next lord, and she is his old childhood rival. They haven't interacted with each other since they were children when he was sent away, And their initial interactions are fraught. They stumble over their old rivalry, each expecting the other to retain that sort of childhood pettiness. But Adira wants Jack's help. She wants him on the island, not just to find the missing girls, but also to stay on the island and to be the bard. So we're not just concerned with the mystery of the missing girls. We also have the mystery of who Jack's father is, and also the mystery of history, because we want to know what really happened when the island was split and the clan line was formed. Like, what brought about this magical, extremely childish ideal of, like, that's your half, this is our half, nobody can cross. At the beginning of this book, we hear the East's version of the story, and I suspect the West has a very different take on it. So while Jack and Adira are working on investigating the elemental spirit side of this mystery, we have another couple who are working on the more mundane aspect of it, Sidra and Torin. Sidra is a healer, and Torin is a guard captain responsible for defending the clan's border. Theirs is a marriage of convenience. Torin needed help with his young daughter from his first marriage. Personally, I found their storyline more interesting than Jack and Adira's, which is kind of unfortunate for the side characters to be more appealing than the main characters. That may just be my personal preference, though. So Jack uses music and magic 
to summon the elemental water spirits to question them. The spirits deny any involvement. Why would they want to steal mortals? Mortals are boring. But the spirits know more than they can say. They are sworn and magically bound to secrecy. So now Jack and Adira must move on and speak to the other spirits, the spirits of the earth. And this marks the first time that Jack discovers that he too can wield magic on the island. And just like it does for everyone else, it drains him and costs him his vitality. Before the girls had started to go missing, Adira had been trying to set up trade with the Breckens to heal the rift between the clans, to end the raids and bloodshed. And it seemed to be going well. In the middle of this investigation, she takes Jack with her to meet the heir of the West and attempt a trade to just see if they can even be in the same room as each other. And the heir of the West seems very eager to start a trade and a communication and to, like, move past their violent history. But after the first trade, the Breckens raid the East again, even though it's not winter. It seems that not all of the Breckens want peace, or perhaps they've just been lying. Adira begins to wonder if she can ever trust the Breckens. And then Torin's daughter is kidnapped. Sidra tries and fails to fight off the kidnapper. But while she's fighting, she realizes that it's not a spirit. It's a mortal man who is somehow moving unseen and impossibly fast. Unlike, it is a big deal for Sidra to figure that out, and obviously it's awful for Torin's daughter to be stolen, but like we knew that it wasn't the spirits stealing the girls because they make a pretty big deal about the fact that spirits can't lie. So with these two aspects of the investigation, we're sort of uncovering the same information over and over again, which means that it feels repetitive, like the writing style does. It does help that you can tell that Jack and Adira are on the trail of another mystery, but they can't quite figure out what it is that they're trying to solve. Like, they're not only trying to solve the mystery of the missing girls, there's also, like, something else that the spirits are hinting at that's going on. So, Sidra and Torin figure out how the kidnapper is moving fast and unseen but not where he's coming from or where the girls are. Jack and Adira learn from the Earth Spirits that the girls are together, and they learn that what they really need is to talk to the wind, the most powerful spirits and the most dangerous. So they go and summon the wind. We're near the end now, and so things begin to unravel. The wind loves to tell secrets. Secrets like who Jack's father is, 
and that Jack's mother knows how the Breckens have been crossing the clan line undetected to steal the girls. His mother has done it herself, after all, crossed the line to visit Jack's father in the West. So that's pretty obvious, right? I mean, island split in half, mysterious father no one talks about, probably the father is on the other side of the clan line. We got it. The wind spirits also tell them that the girls are indeed in the West and well looked after, and that Jack's father knows where they can be found. Our final confrontation is at Jack's childhood home, where they find the heir and lord of the West. In the end, some of the layers of secrecy are pulled aside. The island is still shrouded in lots and lots of mystery, but the girls are returned. Jack meets his father, and in order to keep the peace, and in the hopes that it might help heal the rift between the clans, someone from the east goes to live in the west. No, I'm not going to tell you who it is. That would be extra spoilers. It's always a little convoluted to try to explain a mystery, so I hope you got at least the gist of it. I will probably read the sequel when it comes out. The writing was a little unwieldy. It felt a little clunky. That's the sort of thing maybe the sequel will do better. The characters kept saying each other's names in, like, every other line of dialogue for some reason. But, like I said earlier, I liked the setting and the atmosphere, and I'm interested to see how the mystery resolves. If you want more media like this, you can try Silver in the Wood by Emily Tesh. Join me next time to hear about The Chosen by Chaim Potok. And don't forget, I'm doing a giveaway for A River Enchanted. To enter, just send me an email at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it, or just share it with a friend. You can follow the podcast on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast or at backlogbooks.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon.